Today is the 13th day of November 2014 and I am honored to have Dr. Alec Ponte with us again. And uh, today we continue on the integral yoga and other paths. I remember once my dear friend and guide Arabinda Basu was not very pleased when a well-known lecturer here said that <clears throat> the synthesis of yoga became, because he synthesized everything, that became the integral yoga. Mm. And Basu was not happy about that. <laughs> he said, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, we take on from there. In fact, in uh, the synthesis of yoga itself, uh, Sherbindo, towards the end, speaks of the yoga of integral self-perfection. And uh, if the two were synonymous, there was no need for <laughs> the yoga of integral self-perfection. Uh, it may be of note to interest to note that um, integral yoga, unlike the traditional paths, is not something fixed you know, uh, fixed and forever, because it's a whole evolutionary journey and the yoga evolves as humanity evolves. Methods, techniques, processes are anyways not the core of yoga. There is a common misunderstanding that yoga is about a certain technique and process and people want, you know, in this age of fast food, <laughs> McDonald's and KFC, they want a quick technique of yoga. And of course, the mother did say things like, you know, mantra and japa, but you know, Anything in yoga, when it is pursued as a mere technique, it becomes something lifeless. And even if it brings results, it can be very dangerous because it may aggrandize, uh, you know, the person in a wrong way. There is a true aggrandizement. The mother has used this word, but that is through the manifestation of our diviner possibilities. But the aggrandization of the ego by certain powers, certain experiences uh, can be very dangerous. So to start with, Yoga is not to be confused with techniques and processes and that is why Shurabindo spoke about the synthesis of yoga because over specialization of the techniques and in you know codification of methods uh, something what Patanjali did though he did it admirably in his own time can have its own disadvantages and that's what Shurabindo spoke of at the very beginning when he introduces the synthesis he says that you know uh, we have to go back to the essence of yoga and the essence of yoga is to engage and engage intensely in an evolutionary journey and the whole world is engaged in this evolutionary journey. You know, we were just talking about Lyle Watson and yes. many others such like who are, they don't speak about yoga. They have not heard the term and the mother speaks of this, that there are people who are doing yoga without knowing that they are doing yoga. And we may add... <laughs> There are people who profess to be doing yoga but are far removed from yoga. <laughs> you know, everybody seems to be doing some exercises and believes it is doing, the person is doing yoga. And it's very uh, sad to see this. Yes, sad to see this in India. The land of, suppose it is the land where yoga has been preserved. And you know, people do exercises and they say, we are going to do yoga. Now, yeah. yoga, when we go back to the roots, is essentially about union of something within us, to make it very general, with the divine. Now this divine, if the word frightens, the mother used to use the word perfection. Mm. 
we are all seeking that we are seeking a perfect state a permanent perfection not just a momentary perfection but if that perfection can be embodied as a permanent state of consciousness and in that process as we spoke last time about the vedic mysticism the upanishads and the gita and the tantra the human soul has ventured into territories far and deep into the beyond and as it pursued a perfect state it found it ever moves forward it's there is a very interesting uh, you know sloka in the ishupanishad ah, yes yes and says about you know uh, uh, one that is swifter than the mind it is near and it is far it ever moves forward it is ever in front ever in front it moves and it moves yes not. it moves and it moves not it is far from us far from us and it, and is, it is near close. us yes so you know this beauty of this <clears throat> pursuit was that you know when people say yoga with a definite starting point and an end point i have my own terminology for it uh, i say it's a swimming pool yoga where there is a fixed technique you plunge you learn how to swim you cover this end to that end you have the experiences and you say you are a yogi <laughs> but a true yogi becomes more and more like a child and he can never say i have become a yogi because it's a paradox yoga is not a dead end it's like swimming into the sea the ocean and where is the beginning and where is the end everybody plunges at a point has a certain experiences of the ocean uses his own method and believes that that's it and it's a uh, you know great error it's one kind of illusion to which even our spiritual pursuits can be prone to and that's why shubindo had this big need to bring back yoga to its old ancient pristine value that yoga is not about techniques processes and methods well they are there but the real essence of yoga is a journey a journey of spiritual evolution and the first point of that journey is that within us there is a seed of the divine consciousness which we may use the word soul the divine spark the rezo deitri doesn't matter actually names can be very misleading because each one puts a different meaning into the name we may use the word spiritual essence or a divine essence or a spark now this through experiences of life after life is growing step by step and growing towards its own fullness every one of us is divine in some deepest part of our being we are not aware and we don't experience it we don't manifest it manifestation comes later we have to experience it even though because we are that in a sense there are moments of intense crisis when this part comes out and then we say ah an exceptional human being or an exceptional um moment you know there are people who have defied death even in war time situations and uh, we have example of nishtha in you know nishtha uh, yes. uh, margaret wilson who went to the war forefronts the mother herself went to the war and many such people who during that moment act as if there is no death you know they are as if immortal there are moments when every human being brings out something exceptional from deep inside and it's like a peak experience and we can say that at that moment in some way he touched the core and he did a yoga without knowing it he didn't know that she was doing yoga so exceptional difficulties can bring out this exceptional element from us so there is a yoga going on in nature and it is subconscious it momentarily there is a flash and then it goes into the background 
Now, when you say it's going on in nature, an interesting thing happened to me today. Right. I was trying to find the name of a flower, and I opened the book, and there was the name. Oh, yes. And yes. It, it was a flower that Parichand mm. got. Big, big Ipomea, morning glory type, but orange. Nature aspires to be supermentalized. Wow. That's it, and that is the answer. If we see the entire journey of evolution, it is that. Yes. And um, in nature, this is going on. And that's why we see that at each level of evolution, something comes out as a higher and deeper possibility of nature. And it manifests itself through all the challenges. So that is the real sense of evolution and the essential meaning of it. So, you know, again, to take it, uh, you know, Sriorbindo, uh, Sri Aurobindo's sense of evolution is very different from Darwinian sense. It's not a struggle for survival. That is on the surface. But deep inside, whether we win or lose, whether we rise or fall, one thing that happens, we grow. So I give this analogy that, you know, the game of life we can play in two ways. One unconsciously, not knowing it's a game. So imagine a scenario where you are suddenly thrust into the football field. You don't know the rules. You don't know it's a game. And you are jostled. You become like a ball because you don't know. You fall and you are hurt and you cry and you say foul. You say all these people, this whole world is so much against me. You complain and you pray. All these things you do. And you curse whoever put you there. Imagine the second scenario where you know it's a game and you are part of the game. So what do you do? You learn the rules of the game. And you want to play better and better. At the end of the day, someday you win, someday the other team wins. But what happens? Regardless of that, both have grown in strength, in capacity. Now, a footballer has to go through that to grow. It does, so winning and losing, success and failure, are not the real issues of life. And that's why the divine does not focus so much on them. He focuses on something else. And that evolution goes on through everything. And that's where the mother's you know, uh, famous prayer, one of her famous prayers where she, she says, uh, the words addressed to earth, poor sorrowful earth, each joy and each sorrow, each change of seasons, everything, what seems to thee pleasant and what seems to you painful, everything leads you towards me. So there is a subconscious yoga. We miss the sense because we are focused on the outer appearance on the winning and the losing of a game, on the reactions of pain and pleasure to the events and circumstances. But if we look within, then we see that inevitably, invariably, the winner and the loser, the saint and the sinner, our definitions, but they're all growing through all the manifold experiences of life. Now, when we understand life like this, then we have to be, we realize that, well, let me learn the real rules of the game. For instance, there are rules of the game called Yagna. Yagna is a rule of the game. When we don't know it, we live only for our ego's sake. We suffer. In fact, the sign of suffering or the degree of suffering is a directly in proportion to the ego sense and the ego personality. But egoistic people suffer a lot. They don't realize. They not only give suffering to others. They suffer. Because, you know, one thing which doesn't happen according to my wish, I feel, oh, the whole world is bad, God is bad, people around me are bad. 
so ego leads to suffering and this suffering comes to liberate us so you know they they everybody is being pushed in yoga or conscious yoga you learn the rules of the game and begin to play according to that so you know every act has to become a consecration you have to learn to do karmas without focus on the results because when you focus on the results you are playing for the ego's sake but when you take it that the results belong to a consciousness which is much vaster whether to give you or deprive of you its purpose will be served and our purpose of growth so then we are not focused on the result we are focused on doing it well as a perfect offering i think how sri arbindo lifts us up yes in those lines even when we fail to look within yes or lie embedded in earthly consciousness still we have parts, parts that grow, that grow towards, towards the light. light exactly not only that he goes still further in that very <clears throat> or in the previous chapter no in that very chapter in that chapter yeah uh, in that canto where he says that uh, even when one falls this too the supreme diplomat can use yes he makes our fall a means to greater rise the spirit that bounces back upon life now this is the thing that should be the date through the synthesis it is not about methods and processes very often people say oh if i and mind you i have heard this again mm. from so called uh, pondicherry authorities that integral yoga is about something for the physical so you do physical exercises something for the vital so you do pranayama and breathing techniques something for the mind so you do meditation and that becomes integral yoga and shivinder says such a kind of combination of practices alternatively or simultaneously will lead to a confusion and not a synthesis so synthesis through synthesis it goes back to the essence of what yoga is and in that he ultimately reveals to us that yoga is an unfolding of the soul potential and what is the soul's potential to realize its divinity but and that's where the integral yoga begins you discover the divine within you discover that you are divine and there are so many paths we have the path of gyana the path of karma bhakti geeta tantra and many paths which are not traditional they are not acknowledged as paths for instance when tagore came and shubhendra says he is a lone wayf wayfarer on the same path as ours there are poets mystic poets who have simply used poetry as a means of discovering that there are people working in a garden who have discovered that same inner knowledge and truth without knowing that they are basically on a great journey of spiritual evolution so you know there are so many ways human beings have discovered that divine core within and when they discover one sign is that you know the upanishad speaks about it that one they discover a state of peace abiding peace and joy which is not dependent on anything external and second is that they are at one with nature and the rest of this creation so everything becomes living and throbbing there is nothing like inanimate everything is alive alive with a consciousness stones as mother says stones begin to stones quicken the plants speak gibran said the only difference between me and the stone is the difference in our heartbeats yes that's it the universe begins to come alive yes the stars speak to us 
and we communicate with the world around. So it, there is a radical change in consciousness and that has been the peak of yogic experiences. But then Shurabindu says, well, is this the end? He says no. And there is a good logic to it. Because if this is the end that we end up realizing our divine potential, then why we had to suffer this oblivion and go through this long painful passage if this was the goal? And if this is the goal, then why even think about nature at all? Why not find a way which is shortest possible way? And that's where the Asura uses the shortest possible way. He tortures himself. His body, you know, there are people, you oh. will see some of these uh, melas in India, these so-called spiritual fairs, which are very far from spiritual, where people will even worship, you know, sadhus rolling in mud, sleeping on nails or thorns. And th these mystics have been all over the world. But this is an asuric form of tapasya. This is not denuded nature. Such people will, you know, they will lose all differentiation. They can eat wood. I have seen such people. But this is not what the divine wants. They torture the flesh and nature to a point where eventually the divine element just comes out and escapes, you know. But that's nature remains a prey to all kinds of forces. So Shubindu says, well, if realizing the divine is the thing, then what is the difference? So herein he brings in a new sense, a new step in the spiritual evolution that thus far fine but something else is required and that is nature itself just as the soul is a seed of the divine nature also is a diminished form or a shadow if we like of a higher supernature shakti waiting on our peaks and this too wants to be lifted up that is why the soul and nature have come together in an intimate union and that is why it's so difficult to disengage from nature. It sticks, Shobinda even says that in Savitri, that wherever he is there, she is there and where, wherever you know it's a state of quietude, nature is there but lying silently sleeping on the heart, on the chest. So what about that nature and that's where the integral yoga comes in that this nature too has to participate in the yagna, in the great evolutionary adventure, in the perfection of which the soul is capable. And from the synthesis of yoga, we move on to the yoga of integral self-perfection. But even that, Shobindo gave a method, base, he gave the principle, he spoke about the shakti, he spoke about faith and the movement of the mind, the heart, the very body in participating in the yoga but how far can these go by simply the power and tapasya of the soul something else was needed and that is why he also used the word supramental yoga and the mother cryptically says and that's something very interesting you know she speaks about the fivefold education and then when it comes to supramental education she has very few words but those few words are amazing she says, unlike these other forms of education, which start from below, the supramental education will start from above. Which means that when supramental consciousness is there, the rules of the game change. Now, Very often people feel that whatever is there in the synthesis, 
is the end. No, Shobindo himself did not do that. When he was asked to revise it, he said, you want me to come down to that level? And he was bringing out something much vaster, Savitri. The mother in 60s, she says, you know, when I read all those conversations or when they are told to me, 1929, she says, oh, they belong to a previous era. Why? Because it's an evolutionary yoga. And that's what you will see in the ashram, which many times if people are not able to catch, they can get totally flustered and confused. There was a time when women who came to the ashram, they used to wear a white sari and with a typical Indian way, you know, with a sari covering the head. You'll see those photographs and pictures. And the same divine mother starting from there made the girls wear shorts. And they just couldn't believe that it's the same mother doing it. And they couldn't understand. So there is something required at one stage. And at another stage when mankind is ready, another law begins to operate. A greater law of freedom and infinity. And today if somebody were to see, supposing from those days, the person would be absolutely find it very strange. The sadhaks are freely using mobile and technology and computers and they are bringing in yoga in so many ways. There was one Sunilda with his amazing music and now so many who are coming up with the new music. You know, It's amazing that the yoga has burst beyond the limited boundaries. So we see that he speaks about supramental yoga also which will not follow any known conventional ways of yoga. In a yoga of integral self-perfection, we still have, you know, something which is based on the great past spiritual efforts, though it goes far beyond it. Some people will see in it a reflection of the Gita, but it's not true. The integral yoga is not synonymous with the yoga of the Gita. Because the aim of the Gita is not transformation of nature. And there is no insistence on Shakti or perfection of nature, which are the goals of the yoga of integral self-perfection. But there is a tendency again, because Shubhinda used the word integral with reference to the Gita, because it's a triple path. It merges the, in its synthesis, it takes the uh, mind uh, or the capacities of the mind, the heart and the will, or the path of jnana, bhakti and karma and fuses together. So it's a great synthesis, but it is not the integral yoga of Shubhinda. So we have the integral yoga, then comes the yoga, the supramental yoga. And then, of course, he made it very simple. And he used also a term called the mother's yoga, very simply. So he made it very, very simple for those of us who uh, are, I would say, privileged and fortunate to have faith in this wonderful grace which the Divine Mother embodies and her love. And the mother says that when Satprem asked her, Mother, how are we to do all this? She says, who is asking you to do this? Yeah. And we see that from the days of synthesis where he speaks about faith in the Shakti. Later on in the letters he says, open to the mother, receive her. And you see he revolutionized yoga far beyond anything one can imagine. For instance, in traditional yoga you have a initiation. Why? Because it's a point of entry. But Shurabindu did not make a distinction, that kind of a radical distinction between ordinary life and the spiritual life. 
it was one continuum a point comes when the subconscious yoga becomes conscious now what is that point it is not like one moment but something which keeps growing so at one in one of his letters he says there is no formal initiation in this yoga so what is the sign he says those who are open and receptive and they progress to that and they have a call they are on the path of yoga which means he expects humanity to have developed to that extent where it can feel the inner calling so it's already by this he raises the bar of humanity because very often people say i don't know how to know the call it means we are not yet sufficiently subjectively conscious otherwise one feels the call one knows it and so should be the said well what do you mean you feel it or you don't feel it this was a very beautiful interesting answer that there is nothing like how i feel it you feel it or you don't feel it so at that point where humanity has become very very engaged with its subjectivity and that's why he says in in those last chapters in the synthesis in the yoga of integral self perfection he says our yoga starts with this assumption of a soul involved in the mind it takes off from there it is a very high take off point without speaking about it that's why this yoga is not a mass movement because the bar is high the starting point is high and from there the yoga starts and then as i said towards the later part he says more and more if you can open to the influence or not if you can become receptive or not so the whole stress was how to make our being open process may be same in some ways like consecration so consecration remembrance offering is a way to open aspiration sincerity aspiration sincerity surrender. rejection is a way to open why because there are the animal tracts and the past consciousness which we embody you see it's very interesting just to go back one step behind in the evolution when man came he disturbed the balance of the animal and the jungle so what happened for some time there was a tussle eventually animal recognized that something mysterious in man that made him strangely superior without the vitality of the animal without the vigor and the physique of the animal without the ability to fly or swim as the animal and yet he recognized in the human eyes something that could manipulate the world in such a way that he had only one of the two choices to be domesticated or move far away from the jungle there were no no second choice with the animal world and this is what we see here again that another kind of choice that confronts human beings mm. when this you know yoga when we participate in this yoga that at a point of time we become conscious of all these elements within us and we have to engage them all in a process of yagna in a process of consecration the animal within us and you know the human within us Uh, this new consciousness which the mother speaks of and how it does yoga it takes up the human it takes up the animal it takes up all that is below it and just as human beings humanize the animal in us this new consciousness will divinize the human in us so it's a very very vast and complex yoga no technique can capture it so opening to the mother consecration remembrance so there are things which block this journey and if we reject it it makes the new consciousness infiltrate deeper and deeper into the subconscious terrains 
Now, even if we don't reject, it will do it. But maybe smashing many things on the way. Yeah. And that's painful. That's why rejection, something which is very new in Shurabindu's yoga, because uh, rejection is not being so much talked about. But the mother gives later on a still better process. She says rejection is not easy. So she says, offer it. Offer it for transformation. Don't sit over nature in a state of denial. Offer it without being judgmental. So we see that this yoga, you know, they, in fact, we, we cannot use a name to define it. Whether integral yoga, supramental yoga, the mother's yoga, the yoga of self-perfection. But the real thing is that we have to participate uh, in this evolutionary adventure, engaging our nature in that process, which means a double labor. Not only the blossoming of the soul to its highest pot potential, but a blossoming of nature and its capacity, which means to disengage from our faith in the old world and its old methods. When people went to the mother asking for how do we educate the children and they are very naughty and you know they don't listen to us. And what solutions mother gave? Be your own master. Just see if you are restless inside and that is being communicated to the children. Don't create a division between the spiritual and the worldly. Somebody asked mother yes. how to instill in them spiritual things. Do we tell them to read Shurabindu's books or do this or do that? Very often people wonder, they don't start their classes with a mantra, nothing. It is something else altogether. And uh, that's where all credit to Satprem, despite, you know, there are things mm -hmm. where one disagrees. That he caught that something. That this is not uh, just, uh, you know, we use the word yoga. But it's so much far beyond, so complex, so vast. At one point you discover that there is nothing which is excluded from the yoga. And the mother says, so when she was asked, uh, what are the things that super mind will eliminate? See how rejection itself can be misunderstood. <laughs> she says, eliminate. Why? Nothing at all. And then she says, perhaps the artificiality, the hypocrisy, truth covered with falsehood, it will eliminate these false coverings so that in every movement of nature, truth, consciousness, light, love, bliss can prevail. Right now it's a mix. Every movement is a mix. But behind it there is a truth. So bring out that truth, then making money can be part of yoga. Provided we do it as part of a larger movement, merely as channels for creating divine beauty upon earth. Do it as egoistically for your personal comfort and enjoyment down the slope. Nothing they excluded. I mean, it's amazing. Yes. And that's where we see, uh, you know, it's interesting since we are at it just to touch upon. We were talking the other day about even we touched upon the Konark Sun Temple and Ajanta and Allura and people don't understand. Shobindu spoke of it that even behind the most carnal movements, which are, you know, the most animal remnants, rage, lust, even behind them, deep, if we go deep inside, there is a divine principle. Kali destroys, Shiva swallows poison, Krishna sports with this world and loves this creation. But we turn these energies into egoistic use, 
we destroy because we don't like it. But Kali, when she destroys, the titans drink the poison and spit it all around. Shiva also drinks poison. But Shiva is a god and he speaks of it in the Neel Superman. Kant. Yes, Neelkant. Krishna also sports, loves this creation, embraces it in every which way. But Krishna is forever free, inwardly. Now, this is where the whole beauty comes of Sri that he has foreseen. And again, we see that's where he connects with the Indian earliest yogic endeavors. That somewhere the Vedic Rishis had foreseen these possibilities. So that they at least tried to lift every movement of nature to its highest possible limits. Now, this is something amazing, fantastic. Would you say something about the collective? Yes. So as we were saying that the other aspect of this yoga is that it's a collective yoga. And <laughs> if doing an individual yoga is difficult enough for an individual and it is the divine who has to do it the collective yoga is far more difficult for any human being and if any human being feels or believes that he can do a collective yoga more so by gathering human beings around him then he is heading for a straight disaster so collective yoga recognizes the fact and it's there in mother's um, you know prayers where she says one personality however great and vast and complex represents one or at the most a few aspects of that infinite consciousness so yoga by its nature to arrive at its grand fulfillment has to at some point become collective yoga and this experiment has also taken place in, you know, Indian thought uh, and in everywhere by forming a Sangha. Shubhinda speaks of that and a congregation of people who are turned towards a common goal or a common good or even in monasteries pursuing a common mission, a common uh, divine element. But invariably these things fail. One of the... Yes. Uh, strong efforts was made by Sikhism and Shubhinda speaks of that it was one of the first uh, radical attempt at forming a spiritualized society so in the society there were certain things even ultimately the brotherhood of Islam if you go deep inside Ram Rajya they're all efforts at collective yoga but like individual yoga there was a ceiling collective yoga again there has been a ceiling after a while these efforts degenerate because as this yoga expands, the Ram Raj doesn't remain confined to Ayodhya and few persons. It rolls over into the plains of Vindhya and down below, into the forest spread far and wide. It begins to include animals, uh, elements which are very far removed from even a conception of Ram Raj. And so also we see all religions were in effort at creating a collectivity, but they fail. So this aspect also Shubhendra takes up in a very interesting way. Like everything he revolutionizes it. So what was the reason of the failure of these um, methods? They at some point tried to create an ideal collectivity by one, prescribing and proscribing certain set of rules of living. 
the edicts. Now, when you prescribe a rules, it is very good, makes it appear very simple. But unfortunately, rules don't change human nature. You know what happens to a most disciplined soldier when he's confronted in the battlefield. He may become a savage animal. These are known instances. Because the human psychology is very, very complex. Mental rules can carry us to a point, but not further. So they insisted on, you know, certain moral rules, principles by which human beings will live, love one another, be good. But what is that love? What is being good? As long as the root of ego and selfishness is there, there can be no way that an ideal collectivity can form. And therefore, unless human beings transcend the ego principle, not just in the vertical way, which an individual yoga does, but in a horizontal way, and Shobindo speaks of it, he says in our yoga, we get rid of the ego by expanding vast into the cosmic consciousness and beyond. And he gave it as a condition for the supramental yoga. Unlike piercing through and going into the transcendent in a merger. There also you get free from the ego. But that freedom is very individual. You can tell others to be free. But here you grow wider and wider in an ever widening circle. Yoga may start with one individual and his little nature. But interestingly in this yoga, I mean of course you are very well aware but all of us but maybe you know I'm just sharing something which I'm sure everybody knows by direct experience that as we grow on one side the light, peace, strength, beauty, bliss of the divine contact grows. On the other side we become conscious of terrains of nature which we were not aware. <laughs> this too is me and we have to accept it and offer it and wait for its transmutation. As we begin to grow, we begin to see that this me and not me also begins to become blurred. The boundaries begin to melt away. First between us and they, other humans. They are two aspects of ourselves. We can see our reflection. People whom we like, people whom we dislike, people whom we associate with, people who shock us. They are nothing but our own reflections. And then we go beyond humanity and we begin to feel that plants, birds, beasts, they all speak to us. They are so alive that flower on the road begs our attention. We can't crush it. We can't just pass it by without noticing it, at least inwardly communing with it. The rain comes to communicate something that, look, I am there, a guest to your place. Why are you scared? I have come to express my own way of saying bonjour to you. <laughs> the sky, the sun, they're all friends. And then expanding further, the gods, even the titans knock for deliverance. And then we discover where is the limit of our humanity. It embraces everything. Against a state foreseen in the Isha. The big problem of that state is that there may be a state of inner confusion if it is not, you know, if along with this widening the surrender doesn't grow. Because it's difficult enough to manage our small little room of the little ego. 
far more difficult when the boundaries, the defining limits of humanity fall away from us. So we have to keep surrendering at each step, become more and more humble. And then we discover that, well, there is a right way that everything has to arrange itself in life according to a divine dispensation, what is called by the Vedic seers as Rith. Hiranmayena patreyam, patreyena. The law of truth. Things have to connect according to that law. Right now it's a law of ignorance. The people in our life, the vocation we are occupying, the place which is there with us, the place where we are living, it's all according to a law of ignorance. It does not even remotely express the divine will. Leading to much disorder and confusion in the world. Each individual who escapes this law of ignorance and begins to live by the law of truth, begins to rearrange things automatically by his mere presence. At the same time, because each one is representative of one type of movement or maybe a few movements, he, through a process of inner consecration, sublimation and expansion, has an effect on every one of his type. So you see what happened in the ashram. Everyone represented a possibility. Of course, the mother used the word impossibility. <laughs> Later on, she changed. Now I won't say that. I will say difficulty. She also said it about our villains. <laughs> yes. She said, uh, don't think you're special. Yes. Each of you represents a problem of the world to be worked out. <laughs> Someone told me, very interestingly, you know, when you come in the beginning to the ashram and of course your psychic is in front, everybody is beautiful, divine being. So, uh, in a, that moment of holy sentiment, I said to a you know very old sadhak here, I said, what a privilege that you, you are here. I wish I could be here. You know, it's, it must be someone special to be here. So he says, that's what you think. But we are here because... We are a problem to be solved by the divine. And I didn't believe it. I said that's his humility. <laughs> it was just the first few months or maybe the very you know, first time I came here. I said, look how humble this man is. And then you, know, you discover that no, it is a fact that each of us is a possibility and a difficulty. Manifest that possibility you will make it easier in hundreds and thousands of others by a ripple effect. And without stepping out of your room, you will engage in a, in a collective yoga. Shubhinder and the mother are the glorious examples of collective yoga. Staying in one room. Tackle that little difficulty within yourself, win that little victory. And staying in one room, you are making it easier for thousands who are going to come. So this yoga is something very interesting. With each generation will become easier, more complex, more vast. It is bound to become that. It's bound to include elements. And the mother showed the way. Initially there were no children. Even families when they came, they were meant to stay separate. And the mother says when children came, you know, we had no choice. We had to keep people together. Life could not be the same. Life changed. But then she says something very, very deep and interesting. She says, it, it means that we have taken up 
a few more problems of humanity which we had till now not taken up maybe a little prematurely but nevertheless now you see the moment children come all the attachment the tender affection the family life everything came knocking at the doorsteps and the mother changed many things after that even with boys and girls first there was a separate boarding and then you know how she gradually allowed this freedom to mix earlier it was not like a free mix you know they couldn't mix freely and slowly and slowly step by step she made the yoga more and more vast post supramental descent ah as if she in the giant ship noah's ark she has carried every possible possibility impossibility and section of humanity and animality with her she made it so vast complex that nothing was spared and now when she and mother and shubindu are fully in their supramental bodies there is nothing which they cannot take up and that's why we see the worst possible problems of the world now come knocking at the doors of the ashram to be resolved dissolved annihilated or transformed that's what make this yoga wonderful and with each generation new challenges because this yoga is connected with life to say that children should not have ipad they should shouldn't look at the tv is not the solution it is an absurdity we will end up with a monastery they will become equipped yes initially they will become enslaved to a gadget but eventually down the line because of this working of the new consciousness they will integrate it already we see that's happening when facebook came or the first community it was horrible you know that orkut or whatever and you know it 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 became a very disreputed thing now you see there are so many people on facebook <laughs> and such beautiful things you know one gets on facebook on whatsapp and you know you just rejoice because the yoga multiplies manifold and you rejoice at looking at the divine play manifold it's amazing you know so i'm not uh, there yet yes i was <laughs> going to ask and then i knew you are not there <laughs> no you don't need to be there <laughs> you have entered into a different universality but anyways you know it has its own what i mean is that these things are bound to come yeah. in this life even if i am not there can i escape it <laughs> <laughs> in the next no i have to grow up with these things so when i grow up i am bound to integrate it we have to take the challenge and better we do it faster than later you see as an aside uh, what happened to a generation in india we saw it which didn't grow up with the television my parents for instance and they regarded it initially as something evil something not good you know totally religious people traditional bhakti and all that and it started with well now the ramayana has come so they liked it to start with but then slowly with all their goodwill and goodness they got hooked on to the television it was very difficult now it's mahadev <laughs> now it's mahadev mahadev i love but what i mean is <laughs> but for some of us who grew with it we are not slaves to it we know when to switch it off but for one generation they just couldn't help it the sudden images from all over the world all the inner and tendencies which were submerged came up this happens when anything new comes when man came amongst the wild he was a little animal 
But slowly and slowly, while struggling with the animal outside and the animal within, the two which were together, he learned to become truly man by subordinating and taming the inner animal, of which the external was a symbol. So too now he is meeting the cosmic consciousness at his doorsteps. Syria, America, Vietnam, Cambodia, Japan, they are all there. Shivinda wrote that in the Cosmic Man, London and Tokyo and Paris, my spirits seeing are. Man's countless misdeeds and rare good deeds take place within my lonely heart. I am the bird he feeds and saves, the beast he slays. All this flooding of consciousness, streaming of energy of all kinds, submerging us, drowning us, the new humanity will bounce back and surf upon its waves as it surfs upon the ocean. Use even these things as an instrument of the future. This is the beauty of this yoga. So where does yoga begin and end? The man watching a television may be doing yoga as much as the man sitting and meditating inside all, all life, all is, life yoga. is yoga. Thank you. <laughs>